Wildwood Community Church exists to glorify God by connecting people to Christ, His worship, His community, and His mission. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. We are today going to be continuing our series on the book of Romans, chapters 15 and 16, a series called Co-Mission. If you've been around for the last number of months, you know that we've been walking through the book of Romans, started last fall, and we started in 1-1. We're all the way almost to the very end of chapter 16. Next Sunday will be our last message in the book of Romans, not ever, but in this season as we've been walking through Romans together. Uh, in this most recent series, we've been talking about the commission that Paul felt. He ends the book by reminding us of the mission that Christ had called him to, a, a great commission to go into all the world and make disciples of all people, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Not only does Paul remind us of that mission, but he also invites us to join him on that mission, that it would be a mission that we share, a co-mission together. A couple of weeks ago, we saw that that involves us reaching out to those in our sphere of influence for Christ. And then last week, we saw that we can extend the reach around the world by partnering with those who are in other places. Um, today, we're going to continue that series by looking at Romans chapter 16, verses 17 through 20, and the importance of what we believe in the midst of our outreach. But uh, before we look at those verses, I want to just uh, share with you an experience that I had a number of years ago, about 12 years ago now. Um, Kimberly and I went down to Houston to see her sister and her sister's family. They had just recently had a new baby, and we went down there to celebrate the birth of that child. Now, while we were down in Houston visiting them, um, we were taking care of a few odds and ends, a few projects. And one of the projects that we were working on was fixing a sink. Now, those of you who know me would call that some kind of a miracle that I was involved. I was there mostly for moral support. Um, but we went to the store and we were getting some parts to fix the sink. Now we get back uh, and we're looking at this sink in their house. It was my father-in-law, my brother-in-law, and myself. And so we lift up on the nozzle and water comes out. We pull the nozzle down and the water stops. Now friends, in my world, that's a working sink. Don't mess with it. It's working just fine. And so I asked the question, what are we fixing? What's wrong with this sink? And my father-in-law said, well, if you notice, when you turn the nozzle left, cold water comes out. And when you turn the nozzle right, hot water comes out. And I said, great, it's consistent. And he said, that's not the way it is in the rest of the country. And he said, it's important for us to fix this. And I said, why? And he gave me that great father-in-law wisdom. Um, he said, because I don't want my grandchildren to grow up in a house that learns it the wrong way. Because if they learn it the wrong way here, they might get burned later. That's pretty wise, isn't it? You know, when we come around to Romans chapter 16, I, I get the sense that Paul is saying something similar. Paul is, is talking to the church in a very fatherly kind of a way. And he wants us to know that inside of the household of God, we need to get our doctrine about God right here so that we are not burned later. We need to understand the truth of God now so that future generations are not burned later. 
what we believe is important, Paul says. And he calls us to be careful about our doctrine and to look out for false doctrine. That's really what we see in Romans chapter 16, verses 17 through 20. In the midst of a call to reach the world for Christ, we are not to reach the world for Christ with a watered-down message, with an off-point message. We're called to look out for false teachers and to preserve the truth. We see this in Romans 16, verses 17 through 20. And so if you've got a Bible, I would encourage you to open up to Romans 16, beginning in verse 17. We're going to read these four verses. If you don't have a Bible, there's Bibles under the seat in front of you. We also, if you don't own a Bible and you would like to have one, you're welcome to grab one. We have some free Bibles out on the table in the gathering hall near the front door. Um, It's an opportunity for us to take God's Word wherever we go. We don't have just a a restriction to read it in this room. We can read it in any room. And so we open up God's Word and we look at Romans 16, beginning in verse 17. This is what it says. Paul writes and says, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. So in these four verses, we're going to see a couple of things about false teachers and how we are to interact with them. The first thing we see is in verse 17, and it is that we are to watch out for false teachers. We're to watch out for false teachers. Now, in other parts of the New Testament, in Paul's writing, he talks about dangers related to false teaching, but he talks about it in a little bit of a different way. He he just warns us that there are times where people make mountains out of molehills where they take small issues and they make them important things. Paul says we're we're just to not dabble in those kinds of conversations. He says in Titus chapter 3, verse 9, for instance, he says, but avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. I think of those kinds of quabbles as intramural battles inside of the church. You know, when I was in college, I played intramural sports. I can tell you that nobody who didn't play in those intramural games cared a lick about what was happening in those intramural games. That's just the nature of intramural sports. And there are fights inside of the church that nobody cares about except the people who are fighting about them. Paul says, don't get caught up in that stuff. Don't get caught up in people that have to have their charts figured out just perfectly, that that believe that their nuanced understanding of one little word or one little chapter trumps everything else and is the litmus test to Christianity. Don't don't follow people that get so twisted around small, minute issues. So just, just ignore those things. Just don't dabble in those kinds of conversations. Paul says that about issues like genealogies and dissensions and quarrels about the law. But in Romans 16, Paul says something different. He's not talking about secondary minor issues in Romans 16. What he's talking about in Romans 16 is people inside the church who are teaching things that are contrary to sound doctrine. People inside the church who are teaching things that undermine 
the very fabric of Christianity. He says, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. You know, on the back of our our bulletin, uh, when you come in, on the back of your bulletin every week, there's a, a listing of what we consider to be the essentials of the faith. Those are not minor, small, niche issues inside the church, but those are the the big building blocks of Christianity. Those are things that people for 2,000 years have embraced, about the deity of Christ, about salvation through Christ alone, about the authority of God's Word, those kinds of things, about God existing eternally in three people, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three in one, the Trinity. See, those are our core doctrines. Those are our big truths. And what Paul writes in Romans 16 is he lets us know that we need to be on the lookout because there are people who will stand up and have Christian beside their name and they will teach something contrary to those beliefs. There are people who will sound like the smartest person in the room, that will be the funniest person in the room, They will be the most articulate person in the room that will have Christian beside their name, but they will teach you that left is right and right is left. Paul says we need to be on the lookout for such people. We need to have a category, understanding that inside of Christianity, there are those that might seek to mislead us. Now, friends, I'll tell you, when I was younger, when I first came to Christ, I I did not have this as a category. When I first became a Christian, I walked into the first Christian bookstore that I'd ever been into as a believer in Christ, and I had the the feeling that if it was a book in this store, it must be right. I just had that feeling. I, I had a feeling at that era of my life that anyone who stood on a stage like this and opened a Bible, that they must be telling me the truth. I had a, a belief, kind of a, a naive belief. Now, here, here's something I want to tell you. That was a beautiful time of life. But I needed to have the perspective of Romans 16 that lets me know that I need to watch out because there are people who have Christian beside their name but want to undermine the very essential truths of our faith. We need to watch out for them. My exposure to this began when I came to college. I came to the University of Oklahoma. And I was a journalism major. I was a philosophy minor. But what, during my time when I was a student at OU, you know where the, the, the greatest challenge to my faith came from? It came not from professors in classrooms who were atheists. It came from professors in classrooms that came from Christian heritages, people that even had served in churches at different points in their life. My greatest challenge to my faith came from those that had Christian beside their name. I remember distinctly a professor standing up in class and saying that we we know that no miracles have ever occurred because miracles don't occur. Supernatural things cannot happen. And this was the most articulate guy I'd ever heard speak, honestly. And he was doing it in such a winsome way, but he was telling us that there was no such thing as supernatural endeavors. And I remember I was a sophomore, there was a senior who was in that class with me who raised his hand and he said, but professor, what would happen if you were sitting right outside the tomb and you saw the stone roll back and you saw Jesus walk out? What would you think then? Wouldn't you at least have to say that Jesus is an extra special kind of guy? And the professor said, I would not say that. 
because we know that supernatural things like that cannot exist. There must be another explanation. Now, that gentleman had lots of letters after his name. He was way smarter than me. He had more experience than me. And he had Christian beside his name. And yet, he was telling me that left was right and right was left. Paul says we need to watch out for such things. Not only does it happen there, but it, but it happens on our television. You ever turn on TV and it's the History Channel? And there's some special on Christianity. These rev up, it seems like, around Christmas and around Easter when somebody will get on there who is a professor at a Christian seminary. Once again, they have lots of degrees and they talk in very flowery words. They sound very intelligent, but they'll articulate things like, the Bible is full of errors. And if we don't have a category like Romans 16, we can go, look, the smartest guy on television with all of these letters after his name who teaches at this very prestigious school is telling me that left is right and right is left. If we don't have a Romans 16 perspective, we can fall into error. We can get burned later. We need to understand that at times there is teaching that happens that is outside the bound. This, this happens in, in, our, in our Christian world. We live in a world today where a lot of the information we get about Christianity comes through the internet, where we have the ability to access blogs and podcasts. And many, these, these are wonderful things. In, in the era of the internet, there are no longer editors, and information can go directly to us. It doesn't pass through any denominational structure, it doesn't pass through an editor. Somebody writes it, and it can go out to hundreds of thousands of people. And yet it's time, there's times where those who are, have Christian beside their name are teaching things that are contrary to biblical truth, that are telling us that left is right and right is left. It happens on the internet, it happens on our television, it happens in the classroom, and friends, it can even happen inside the church. That's why we need to have a category that, that reminds us to watch out for false teaching anywhere, including in here. I had an experience a few weeks ago where I, I, I preached a message and I, I made a comment inside of that message. I won't tell you what it is because we'll, we'll get into this whole other little thing, but I, I made a comment inside of a message and I had a, a, a high school student come up to me after the message and want to talk about the message. And he said, I don't know that what you said was true. Now, how did I respond to that? Well, I picked up my Bible and I, no, I didn't do that, right? Why? Because they were actually doing what we all should be doing. We all should be taking what we hear and running it through the grid of the Word of God. Just because I'm standing on a stage and just because there's a microphone attached to my face doesn't make me right. The authority that we have comes from the Word of God. We need to have a category of watching out for false teachers, a category that understands the problem. The, the, the Passage here in verse 17 lets us know that we're to watch out. That word watch out is the, the Greek word from which we get the root for telescope or microscope. It's the idea of, of setting our sights on something. When we hear teaching, we need to put our scope on it, our sights on it, be discerning about what we hear, compare it to the truth of God's word. Because false teachers can have Christian beside their name. We need to be careful, and we need to be careful because false teaching leads to real consequences. Paul says in verse 17 that 
False teaching can cause divisions or can create obstacles inside the church. It can divide the unity that Christ has created. It can cause obstacles to trust in Christ because it clouds our understanding of who He is. What we believe matters, friends. Therefore, we must watch out for false teachers. We need to have this category. What's the second thing we see? The second thing we see from this passage, after we're told to watch out for false teachers, Paul writes and lets us know that we're to walk away from false teachers. We're to walk away from them. We see this in the second half of verse 17 on down through verse 20. After telling us that we're to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you've been taught, he says that we're to avoid them. Now, I want to just point out the intensity of that idea and how it differs from what Paul said earlier in the book. If you remember, if you were with us just a couple of months ago as we walked through chapters 13 and 14 and the first part of 15 in our series on walk in love, we talked about people who have different convictions on moral issues, uh, convictions that God is not clear saying that, that left is left and right is right, but places where there can be liberty in different Christian expressions of our faith, some more weak in faith, some stronger in faith, depending on the issue. But what does Paul say to those who have different convictions in different areas? He doesn't say that we are to avoid them. He says that we are to embrace them. We are to love them. But here in chapter 16, he says that we're to avoid false teachers. Now, that's a totally different level. He says that we're to walk away from false teaching. Why the, the ramping up of rhetoric? Why does Paul see greater challenge with false teaching than he does with different convictions on, on gray areas of our lives? Well, I think that the issue of what of what Paul says is he's recognizing that false teaching leads to trouble in our lives. It leads to division. It leads to obstacles. Now, let me give you an illustration that maybe will help us to understand this a little better. This week is Thanksgiving week, and and with Thanksgiving week, many of you will be traveling to another location. And as you travel, a number of you will use the United States interstate system. And so, behind us, we have a, a map of the U.S. interstate system. Now, Um, In case you're new to the area, let me go ahead and orient you to where we are. There we are, okay? Um, Right there in the middle, there is Oklahoma City. Now, in Oklahoma City, we have a convergence of a number of interstates. And two of the major interstates that intersect inside of our city are I-44 and I-40. Now, there is a portion of I-44 and I-40 that overlap. They're the same. But there's a, a spot where they begin to Y. And though their distance between those two is very small at the front end, if you end up on the wrong road, the consequences are very big in your destination. Because if you end up on I-44, you'll end up in St. Louis eventually. But if you get on I-40, you'll end up in Wilmington, North Carolina. Now, those are two totally different locations. At one point, they're very close together, but if if you get on the wrong path, it can lead to very different destinations. And in the same way, I think what Paul is saying is that doctrine matters. False teaching matters because though it may seem like a small tick on the front end, it can lead to very different and 
uh, significant consequences down the road. You see, we live in a world where the Bible teaches that salvation is by Christ alone. It's found only through what Jesus has done for us. And yet there are those that would say it's mostly by Christ alone, plus a few other exceptions in other religions that seem decent. When you hear that, know that that's a divergence of a highway. We live in an understanding where the Bible is the Word of God, and yet there are others that say, no, there's another book or two that you really need to add to that. It's a little better than that. It's a, it seems like a small thing, right? And yet the road begins to why, takes us to different destinations. We're things like salvation is by, by faith in Christ alone, that it's not by our works, and we see that here, but then others will come along and say, no, it's not really by faith, it's by faith plus works. It seems like a small tick. It's a, it's a why, but where does it end up? Paul writes as he concludes his letter to the Romans, and he wants us to watch out for these false teachers, and he wants us to walk away from them, because even though the differences seem small, it can lead to two totally different locations. Well, after making that statement that we are to avoid them, Paul goes on and tells us why we are to avoid them and how we are to identify them. Verse 18 lets us know, for such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites, and by smooth talk and flattery they deceive the hearts of the naive. That verse there reminds us that we can identify false teaching by teaching that makes much of people and makes little of God makes little of Christ. Teaching that is man-centered, man-glorifying, has probably got some flaws in it because ultimately the world exists to give honor and glory to Christ. He's at the center of the universe, not us. And there were those who taught in the first century, there are those who teach today who teach not under the lordship of Christ, but they teach things that make themselves look good. They pursue their own appetites. They come up with doctrines that allow them to do what they want to do. We need to be careful of folks like that, he says. He says that smooth talk and flattery, with that they deceive the hearts of the naive. I I think in our, our world today, humor is a big part of that, isn't it? Somebody can say wrong things, but if they say it with humor... We kind of still lean into the conversation because, man, that was just funny. But oh, the danger, friends, of accepting funny heresy. It puts us on a path taking us to a different location. We're called to identify false teaching. We're to walk away from it, teaching that is contrary to the Scripture, teaching that is glorifying self and not glorifying Christ. Another identifier that we can use to help find false teaching is teaching that doesn't lead to obedience. He, he says in verse 19, he says, For the, your obedience, Romans, is known to all, so that I rejoice over you, but I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. Paul says, up to this point, you've, you've lived a life in following Christ, a life of obedience, but I want you to be careful not to have this false doctrine come into your lives and for you to embrace it because it could lead you into evil practice. It could lead you into disobedience. J.B. Phillips 
in his paraphrase of the New Testament, says this of verse 19. He translates it, there are paraphrases it this way. He says, we are to be experts in what is good, but not even beginners at what is evil. And sometimes false teaching comes about to try to have us be beginners or then some in evil, to justify false action in some way, shape, or form. When you look at this passage in these sections, really, in in many ways, Paul is giving us some tests for the teachers. When you were a student in in college or in in high school, uh, did you ever want to give a test to the teachers? Well, Paul gives us really a test for the teachers who are teaching the Word of God so that we would understand if it is sound doctrine or false doctrine. Some of the the tests that he gives, going back over what we've already seen, the, the first test is, is it biblical? We saw this in verse 17, that there are some that want to teach things contrary to to the doctrine that we have received. If you find someone who is teaching something that doesn't jive with the rest of Scripture, it doesn't jive with sound doctrine. We are to walk away from that. I'm always nervous, friends, when somebody says, I've seen something in that passage that nobody else has seen. If that ever happens to you or happens to somebody else, that ought to give us great pause. For 2,000 years, this book has been studied and studied and studied. For 2,000 years, the same Spirit of God is in my heart that was in Augustine's heart, that was in Luther's heart, that's in your heart. And that Spirit of God is, is leading us into truth. So if you are coming up with a unique idea at this point about the Word of God, we ought to pause and wonder if maybe we're not understanding it quite right. We're to teach things that are consistent with the rest of Scripture. We're to walk away from other things. We live in a world that that loves novelty and new. But we're called to reconcile all things to the Bible. Second criteria that we see is, does it glorify Jesus? Does it glorify Jesus? The False teachers in the first century, they were seeking to glorify themselves and not Christ. Are we learning of things that are glorifying us and, and, not, and not God and not Christ? If you find a teacher that is all about control, if you find a teacher that wants to tell you what the time is and not give you a watch so that you can understand it yourself, if you find those kinds of situations, be very weary of those things, friends. Because those are glorifying a person and not glorifying Christ. We're to follow Christ and not those things. Third criteria that we see is promoting goodness. Does it promote goodness? We saw this in verse 19. Does the truth that's being taught cause people to lean in to following Christ in obedience or does it give them a justification for them to sin. If it does, it's probably false teaching. If somebody comes along and says, I've come up with a new theology that allows me to commit adultery, be very weary of such things, friends. I've seen a new truth, a new vision, a new reality that makes my sin okay. Be very weary of those things. See, the the truth that is sound doctrine leads to, to, to goodness and to holiness and to righteousness, consistent with the Bible, consistent with, it, with what honors Christ, not something that lifts us up. 
not something that leads us or justifies sin in any way. See, these are some tests that we can use to, to test the testers. Now, Paul ends this section by making this, this statement in, in, in verse 20. He says, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. Now, I think that verse is funny. You think that verse is funny? That's just a funny verse to me. The God of peace will crush. That's not the way that I would say it. You know, it would be more, more like the God of justice will crush. The God of righteousness will crush. The God of peace will crush? What's he talking about? Well, Paul here is, is making an, an, a recognition of a very important truth. False doctrine has its origin not in a teacher, but in Satan himself. False doctrine comes from Satan. We know this. Go all the way back to the garden. What happened in the garden? Satan comes along and says, God didn't really tell you that, did he? He's messing with their doctrine. He's teaching false truth. He says, why don't you go ahead and eat from that? It'll be good for you. Go ahead. It looks tasty. Get after it. That's what Satan said. It's false teaching. It's false doctrine. Satan that tried to deceive Adam and Eve is the Satan that still tries to deceive God's people today through false doctrine, even inside the church. We're to be on the lookout for this and we're to avoid it because this is a fight, a dissension that God has decisively settled. Christ crushing Satan under his feet. Our, our peace that we have with God and the peace that we have inside the church, the peace that settles on sound truth, is not a battle that is settled with just a, a peace treaty that was a ceasefire. It was a total annihilation of the enemy. Satan is fully defeated and one day will be cast into the lake of fire forever. Because of that, when we stand with Christ in sound doctrine, we're on the right side, not just for now, but for eternity. See, we're called to watch out for false teachers, and we're, we're called to walk away from them as well. Now, a couple of things just to, to wrap up our time that I think are, are really important. Paul has a very short section on false teaching here, doesn't he? He doesn't give a lot of illustrations. He doesn't tell us what the false teaching was in that area. He doesn't break it down with, with another book of, of refuting that. He just has the category, watch out for false teachers and walk away from it. That's basically what he says. Now, some have, have argued that the reason why Paul gives so little attention to that is because false teaching was not really evident in the Roman church just yet, and so he just dealt with it in a, in a cursory way. But I think there's some challenges with that view, especially understanding the size of the city of Rome and how cosmopolitan it was and the prevalence of false teaching throughout the Roman Empire. I don't think that, that, that Paul was um, just saying that, hey, false teaching is not really something you have to worry about in Rome. I think that what happens is Paul gives 16 chapters of sound theology so that we would recognize the counterfeits. You don't recognize a counterfeit dollar bill by knowing every kind of counterfeit. That's a that's a, a challenge because counterfeit makers, not that I understand this firsthand, but I, from what I understand, they, they're always changing, right? They're always coming up with, with new counterfeits. But the way to understand and recognize a counterfeit is to know the original so well that anything else just stands out. We're called to watch out for false teachers and to walk away from them, and, and the way that we do that is by understanding the original 
by diving into God's Word, by reading it, by gathering in communities that uphold it, studying it together. See, we have the original. Let's go back to that and compare it. Now, that's one thing I want to end with. But the second thing I want to end with is this. When you preach a message like this, it is totally possible for us to begin to think that the Christian life is really like a Scantron test. You know those tests that have the little bubbles and you get questions about Bible and theological issues and you fill in those bubbles and then it's scanned by a machine and it tells you if you're right or wrong. When we talk about understanding the importance of sound doctrine, it's possible for us in this room to begin to think that Christianity is a Scantron test about Bible and theological knowledge. Now, here's the thing. If that's the case, we begin to think, well, I need to learn a lot and I need to perfect my knowledge before I could ever really have a relationship with God. But that's not the way our relationship with God works. We trust Christ and then we get to know him more over time. Let me give you an example. When I went to seminary, um, at the beginning of seminary, they, they give you a test, the test of Bible and theological knowledge. It is, in fact, a Scantron test of what you know. Now, when I went to seminary, I knew Jesus as my Savior, and I loved him, but I didn't know very much about the Bible or theology. And so I took that test on the front end, and I got a lot of questions wrong. You know what? When I started seminary, I knew Jesus, though. My salvation was secure. I had a lot of bubbles wrong, but I knew Christ, and so I was saved. When I finished seminary, I took the same test. This is their proof that they taught us anything. I took the same test. And you know what? I got more right answers on the back end of seminary than I did on the front end of seminary. But you know what? I was still saved, not because my numbers got higher, but because Christ was still the same and I was still trusting in him for eternity. If you are here today, friends, and you are hearing this message, don't confuse the facts. It is important for us to embrace sound doctrine. It's important for us to embrace sound teaching. But our salvation is not tied to us getting every question right. Our salvation is tied to Christ. In understanding who he was and what he has done for us, in embracing his death on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins, is our hope both at the beginning and at the end of our education process. We need to learn the truth here so that we're not burned later, but we learn the truth in the very foundational basic thing is the living water of Christ is what saves our souls. And if you're here and you have never trusted in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, you don't have to begin an education process to get there. You can trust him this morning, right now, where you sit, embracing his death on the cross for the forgiveness of your sins. Let me pray for us as we close. Father, thank you. For just the opportunity to, to gather and to worship. Thank you for the power of your word. Thank you that you have directed us to sound teaching and you have recorded it for us in your word so that we can know you and we can follow you. Father, I pray that you would just open the eyes of any heart in this room, open the ears of any ear in this room who's never trusted in Christ, that, Father, that today that they would do so. And for all of us, Father, that we would just embrace continually your work through Christ on the cross as our hope for life. We pray these things in Jesus' name.